Good afternoon. Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. We've had actually quite on the back of David Farrow's I've been thinking, we've had actually quite a run of um, feedback saying we actually enjoyed the three weeks of of politics free zone. Uh, So, David, I know that you might be a massive political guy, but there are some who actually just did other things. Um, So that may be another sort of uh, angle there. But anyway, let's get back to politics because the final results for election 2023 now over bar recounts. The National Party has lost two seats since the election night result. That means even with ACT, it no longer has a majority. The Māori Party, the party Māori, has taken two more electorate seats, won by a margin of four votes, resulting in a parliament with uh, 122 seats. After the Port Waikato by-election, that will increase to 123. You've got, for example, Labour's Helen White, who only uh, led Mount Albert, a Labour Party stronghold by 106 votes. She's cemented her win over Nationals, Melissa Lee. Turnout overall was 78.2% of enrolled voters. That's down on 81.5% in 2020, but enrolment overall at 94.7% was the highest since 2008. With us is independent political commentator Dr. Grant Duncan. Kia ora, uh, Grant. Kia ora, Wallace. Kia ora. So the special vote here, they've come in. What, what do you make of it? Broadly in line with expectations? Uh, yes, broadly in line with the pattern from uh, past elections. We were a little bit uncertain, I think, because the sheer size, proportionally speaking, of the special votes at 20.9% this time was making people wonder whether the pattern would be different. But no, it's pretty much uh, like what you'd expect from previous elections. So national down two seats, Green Party picking up one uh, te Party Māori picking up two uh, electorate seats, uh, giving us an overhang of three uh, once Port Waikato was accounted for. And that overhang, so part of it will have a two-seat overhang. Can you explain that more for our listeners? Yeah, that's because the six electorates that Te Party Māori have won is somewhat in excess of what they would be granted on their party vote, which is now gone up to 3.08%. So normally that wouldn't uh, grant them six seats, but they've won those six six electorates fair and square, and so there have to be two more seats added to the parliament. I'll jump in. I'll get uh, David and Zoe to jump in as well. But if there's one thing here uh, that's of note, Grant, is that it has been an election for Te Party Māori. They'll be quite a force this term, Grant. Yes, a really good uh, result for them. Uh, They have in the past had five seats, so six is their best result. Uh, And so, yeah, they've picked up 0.4% of a a percentage point uh, in the specials that brings them up to just over three. So this is a really good result for them. All right, so what are we seeing here? Uh, National 48 seats, Labour 34 seats, Greens 15 seats, Kahuranga Kata in Christchurch. Uh, got that there. Act 11, New Zealand first, eight into Party Māori, as Grant said, six seats there. Zoe George, you want to jump in? Yeah, historically these votes swing left. So Grant, why is that? Uh, well, I guess it's the composition of the kind of people who are making special votes. So um, they sort of go a bit both ways, actually. To some extent, they also favour national because you've got a lot of quite well-off people who are travelling around the world. But you've also got a lot of young uh, people overseas, but also in terms of the uh, 
onshore special votes, uh, a lot of young people are shifting around. You know, they're, they're less stable than, than their elders, and so uh, and they're possibly just enrolling for the first time. Uh, and so you get a lot of special votes amongst the younger people who are more likely to vote uh, green. David? Well, just adding to that, two other factors are there was a law change so people could now enrol on election day and still vote, and that's more likely to be those younger voters, and that partly explains, as we heard, why the Greens did well. They got almost 15% of special votes compared to under 11% of votes before that. The Māori Party got 4.9% of special votes compared to 26 of before the specials. But part of that is that voters in Māori seats often have to do specials. You don't have as many polling places because they're such huge electorates, so they often have to vote somewhere where there isn't an ordinary vote available. What I find interesting, the other thing, though, is Labour normally do a lot better on specials than on election day. Like last election, they got 44.5% on election day and 54% on specials. But this time their special vote was below their election day vote. So what we saw is the centre-right parties dropped, Māori Payne Green did really well, but Labour actually did slightly worse on special votes. Uh, and I think that's partly because young progressives left Labour in droves, and that's why we've seen you know, Wellington Central, Rongatayan, um, also their support drop in Mount Albert. Yeah. What I also want to pick up on, uh, Grant, is just the margins here. Tamaki Makoto winning by four votes. I don't know. I can't recall in my time as these margins being so slim, actually. Nelson by, what, 29 votes? That's for Rachel Boyack. Labour there got the pip there. Uh, it's a reminder, isn't it, that every vote counts. That's right. I mean, I have heard of a margin of one before, but... Right. Um, there may be a, a, a recount and that could possibly make a difference later on, but that's up to the candidates as to whether they want to want to do that. Uh, yeah, so some very slim uh, margins. And one of the interesting features that I'm noticing at the moment in terms of the difference between election night and, and the results that we have now is that successful candidates have, ha- have tended to have their margins increased. So, yes, we've seen a few change hands, that's for sure, that's tended to get the headlines. But overall underlying that is that uh, successful candidates, whether they were Labour or National, for that matter, Green, have tended to have their, their margins boosted by the by the special vote count at the end here. Tell me, Grant, is this the largest parliament we've ever seen, either Grant or David, do you know? Uh, yes, it is. It's, it is. Uh, yeah, 122 we've had before, but yeah. not 123, yeah. So it's 122 at the moment, but it will be 123 once we get the Port Waikato by-election. Yeah. And then we turn to actually what happens now. Uh, the, the, they'll be, I guess they would have been talking over the last three weeks, perhaps. Uh, we haven't really heard from, we haven't heard from Winston Peters. He's done an interview, I think, with uh, the platform. Uh, what next? Is it fair to say, uh, Dr Duncan, that Chris Luxon's people management skills are going to be tested? Oh, definitely, I'd say. Um, But I would expect that behind the scenes there's been quite a lot of talking going on, I dare say, more than we're aware of. So certainly if if I was in his position, I would have been doing a lot of uh, uh, talking uh, up until now. And partly being aware that this this outcome with the special votes is not 
unexpected entirely. So it would be a contingency that you'd be able to build into any of those initial talks. So in other words, we're not talking about great surprises here today on the whole. And so I would imagine that um, understandings would have been reached at this stage. I'm only speculating, I have to say. Uh, so I, I don't think it will be a, a great deal of time from here on until we uh, find out what the next government's going to look at, look like in more detail. How are you feeling about this, David Farrar, as a person who, you know, works closely uh, alongside and with the National Party? And do be honest with me, how do you feel about um, uh, Winston Peters being around in, around the table with, with a lot of bargaining oh, yeah. power? You look, it's mixed feelings because, look, most people on the centre-right would rather have a cleaner National Act government because you're going to get more of the policies you believe in that way. But what's been a bit unusual this time, and where some of the hesitation around Winston's been in the past, is you never knew which way he would go. But he was very, very clear this time that a vote for New Zealand First is a vote to change the government. Um, and he you know, got over that 5%. It's been clear since election night, for those who know how specials tend to go, that you would probably need him there. I don't think Luxon will have problems. He, relationships are a strength for him with Peters and Seymour. The interesting thing is going to be the relationship between Peters and Seymour. I just saw a report today that Seymour has tried to contact Winston but not yet had the phone call returned, etc. They're both competing to some degree for the same vote and you might think, well, they should agree on certain policies in government but they may also try to block each other's achievements because they don't want the other to get credit. So I think that's going to be the challenge is how the two minor yeah. parties work together. This is MMP in play, isn't it? This is our, this is our system in action, Grant. Oh, oh, I guess you've got to love it, yeah. And uh, you've got to expect, respect in the end that these are the people that uh, the people of New Zealand have voted for. Certainly we expect them to get along, but I think David's absolutely right that, that uh, those two parties, ACT and New Zealand First, uh, are competing for a, a very similar cohort of people. And so there's bound to be some pushing and shoving as we go over the next three years. Good on you. Nice to have you on the programme, Dr Duncan. Kia ora. Uh, there's uh, independent political commentator, Grant Duncan. Uh, I, I noticed that you, I mean, you did a big... And you're quite an advocate for not just a sport, uh, Zoe George, but the arts. And mm. uh, if there's one thing that perhaps <laughs> actually on all sides wasn't brought up was no. uh, the arts portfolio. Are you, are, are you hopeful that somewhere in the fray... You'll get a bit of support along the way. You I really get, hope you, you so. You get forgotten a bit. <laughs> yeah, I really hope so. Um, I mean, uh, the only party that had any form of arts policy in the build-up to the election were the Greens. Um, and, you know, they, they've they now got a, a record number of MPs this time around. I'm very interested to see who's going to be the arts minister and also who's going to be the sports minister because we're going to have a new sports minister. Yes. Grant Robertson was the sports minister for the last six years and he pushed through a whole lot of stuff that really benefited women in particular um, and and tried to get that equality going, which was great. And then we had three amazing World Cups. So I'm fascinated to see who's also going to be there. But yeah, it's okay. very interesting time. Yeah, nice one, Zoe. Um, Peter in Tawa says the margin of one was Reg Borman and Wairarapa in 87. This was later overturned by the courts and Wyatt Creech became the MP. Is that right, David? 
That, that is correct. Um, there was a electoral petition all the way to the High Court. Um, and actually, Borman got found guilty of corrupt practices because he was found to have overspent on his campaign too. So it, <laughs> it's a, a well-known one. Just with the query about who might be sports minister, it's a real mystery because mm. the sports spokesperson for National was Michael Woodhouse, mm. and he's no longer an MP. So... Your guess is as good as mine. A right. woman. Put a, can you, we put a woman in there? It would be amazing to have our first ever female sports minister. That would be oh, great. That's interesting. Okay, yeah, well, well, we'll come back to this. We're going to be talking politics after 4.30 in terms of um, some ministerial portfolio wish list. If there's, if there's a, a wish list that you have, who would you like to see? Where? 2101. We will come back to that. But our next guest has been waiting with us, and um, uh, I want want to bring Jan in, but first up, uh, the crash on State Highway 1 Southern Motorway in Auckland near the Drury off-ramp has now been cleared. All lines are open. Uh, do expect some residual uh, delays. Well, how many of you now pull out your phone to pay? These days, I hardly take my wallet with me. Increasingly, we are becoming cashless. Across the Tasman, one economist predicts Australia will be effectively cashless as early as 2025. Here, Reserve Bank statistics show just over 36% of Kiwis claim to have not used cash in the past week. But the same stats show that nearly 43% of Kiwis still use cash to pay for, you know, your everyday items, say your milk and bread perhaps. And uh, many among them are likely elderly from mid-next year Canterbury's buses will no longer accept cash as the national ticketing solution rolls out. Jan Pentecost is the Grey Power North Canterbury president. Welcome to the program, Jan. Good to talk to you. Yes. So, um, first of all, uh, how much do pensioners actually use cash anecdotally? Do you know? I don't have any statistics, but I do know that um, within Grey Power nationally, and I'm also the national president, so okay. um, you know I have it more of an overview as well. Um, that many of our older older group use cash for um, virtually everything they do. They go down to the ATM, put their card in. The only time they use their card, get out their pension and then the rest of the accounts, everything else, are paid with that cash. Jan, to many listening, and you know, I take public transport regularly, uh, don't use cash on it, many might think, why not just pay with your card or with your new ticketing system? What's wrong about that? Well, I think that um, from what I understand is happening with Environment Canterbury, yes, they will um, take uh, debit credit cards and um, or an NTS prepaid card or smart devices. The smart devices for many of our, our older people are difficult. Many right. of them are not digitally um, able to do that. They are excluded from that part of our technology. Um, the actual um, metro cards that they talk about here, I understand, and I could be wrong, but I understand that they have to go somewhere 
to get it. Um, I believe it's the bus transfer station in Christchurch. Um, that so would be right. Yep, so if they weren't going right into Christchurch, that probably isn't so easy for older people. And I'm really not sure about the debit credit card, except that the, what I hear from some of our group, our members, is I've always done it with cash all my life, but I'm too old to change now. Oh, right. Okay. So I want to put the word out, because I know next to no one who uses cash, do you still use cash? 2101 Zoe George As a young person I don't think you're ever too old to learn new things um, but it, this also kind of reminds me of when we transitioned away from checks as well I mean that wasn't that long ago but Jen I wonder you know what was it like during that time a transition away from checks and is this the right technology but at the wrong time I, I think probably your last comment is um, really relevant. I know that um, for I've been in Grey Power for 14 years and advocacy chair for that long, most of that time, and I know that in all the issues that we look at for our members, the change from checks and the beginning of having to, in most cases, um, learn, if you like, for many of them, how to use digital devices was and is too hard. And that was the, one of the biggest issues and the most number of um, people contact us, some in tears, mm -hmm. that they didn't know how they were going to manage. And even now, we get stories of them, they've lost their financial independence because they have to get other people to do their banking business. Well, Jan, you may be happy to know, or might be, might be uh, relevant to know that there are many contacted me who still use cash. Cash often, I use cash for bus trip, Anne says cash all the time. I use cash to pay for cashies. Another one, cash is king resilient. Cash, yes, 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 uh, every day. One no, David. I think it's been years since I've used cash uh, because I do love having Apple Pay on my phone and credit cards. But I almost have an opposite complaint. Some time to time, I'll take the train, and it's actually frustrating that if you haven't already managed to purchase a ticket, uh, you have to have cash. You can't use, they don't have F-Post or credit cards on there. So generally, I'm in favour that rather significant people who still want to use cash, yeah, people should be able to, but everyone should also be able to be set up for, you know, electronic uh, transmissions too, because there are more and more people who just don't carry cash around with them. Well, Jan, we may have to return to this story because if it's, we've had a run of feedback saying uh, keep cash. So thank you for raising the issue on the panel. That's okay. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Bye. That's Jan Pentecost, uh, Grey Power President. I use cash all the time, especially when I don't want my hus husband to know what I'm buying, says <laughs> Barbara. Uh, Pinchney here, haven't you... I was waiting for that name to see if it was my partner. <laughs> <laughs> Not a Barbara. <laughs> uh, um, 
Pinch knee here. Haven't used cash for ages. Christchurch buses are free with Super Gold cards. Uh, now, uh, just uh, some traffic here. Uh, the crash on State Highway 1 Southern Motorway in Auckland near the Drury off-ramp has now been cleared. And State Highway 1 remains closed between Waiuru and Arangipur due to a serious crash at 10.45am. So please keep considering using detours or delaying your journey if possible. Your ministerial wish lists, thank you for those that are coming through. David Seymour for Social Development and Police says Brian. Keep those coming, 2101. But just briefly, returning to Dean Hall's I've been thinking from yesterday, he got us thinking about favourite documentaries or doco series. He said for him, documentaries were this little window into a world that he would otherwise not be the least bit interested in. His was Ken Burns' History of Vietnam. My example was Drive to Survive, uh, Formula One on Netflix. I mean, am I an F1 fan? Not in the slightest, but what a series. I also said Campaign from 1999 about the Wellington Central 96 campaign. It's riveting, and that's NZ on screen. Go and have a look. Uh, I think David Farris seen that. It is really part of our political history there. Zoe, do you have one for us? I love documentaries. So at the moment, I'm binge-watching a, a couple of series, and then I'll give you my ultimate impact one. So at the moment, the series that I'm binge-watching is WTF is, Chris, is um, Crypto, which is on TVNZ+, and it's Ooh. all about cryptocurrency and understanding cryptocurrency in New Zealand. It's brilliant. Um, welcome to Wrexham. Can't go wrong on Disney+. Plus. Love it. So much fun, and I love the fact they're bringing in women's voices as well, but I think for me, the the biggest documentary that's had the biggest impact on mm. me and also on our sports communities here in New Zealand is Athlete A on Netflix, which is all about Larry Nassar and the USA gymnastics abuse scandal. And what happened when that came out is that I ended up writing a column about it and that's when gymnasts from New Zealand started to get in touch. And we started this wave of uncovering abusive practices in New Zealand. And what happened following that was that we had this huge review and massive changes, not only to gymnastics, but to legislation legislation that has now formed the Sports Integrity Commission, um, which means, yeah, it it has, it's had such a wide reaching impact. It's really hard to watch, but it is worth it. Athlete A on Netflix. Oh, and how, gosh, how impactful has that been? What a good example. Uh, All right, David Farrow, what about you? Uh, Sorry, what was that? What's the documentary that has been impacted, impactful for you? Well, we did talk about campaign earlier on, etc. And I still think that one would take the prize. And oh, okay. The reason for it is politics behind the scenes can be a miserable business. And it was such a good fly on the wall because it showed candidates like, oh, I have to put my makeup on <laughs> and go out. It shows candidates saying, oh, I can win the seat, I can win the seat, I can win the seat. And then after they lose the seat, I knew I could never win the seat. (laughs) And it's not that they're being dishonest, but you have to have belief in yourself that you can win. 
But you also know, look, it's really unlikely, etc. So it's almost an insight into human psychology. It's actually brilliant. So uh, I might, I might, we might get the director on, actually, Tony Sartorius, but it follows Mark Thomas, the national candidate, Richard Preble, ACT, Dana Glendining from Alliance, Alex Shaw, Labour, and I think the incumbent Pauline Gardner from United Future. It's uh, at the dawn of MMP. It's called Campaign, made in 99, and it's on NZ on screen, uh, it's uh, it's very very good. So athlete A campaign, both incredible picks, uh, and so keep those coming. What's a, a documentary or series that has been incredibly impactful for you? Two one zero one. You're on the panel, uh, NZ National. It is time for headlines.